Well, a new recording called Songs from the Labyrinth features music by John Dowland, and one thing that sets this apart is that it's a collaboration between rock musician Sting and lutenist Edin Karamazov, and they have joined me to talk about Songs from the Labyrinth and their lives in music. Thanks very much to both of you. Good. Nice nice to talk to you. Now, since you each come from very different musical worlds, I'm curious to know how your friends and colleagues initially reacted when you told them about your collaboration. No, please, please, you start. You, you come from a from a pop world. Me first. This is this is not a uh, you know an expected diversion for me at all. Uh, you know, so why am I playing with this crazy lutenist? You know, <laughs> a lute is a 16th century instrument, and uh, I ought to be making music with guitars and you know for radio. But you know, this began as a as a labor of love and curiosity. And um, my friends and my colleagues know that I'm I'm uh, pretty ornery, you know. When I get something uh, under my skin, I, I, I follow it through. And you know, my, my job is to is to is to discover as much about music as I possibly can. And uh, this is this is you know, fi- like finding a, a hidden continent suddenly. And a lutenist, uh, you know, Eden's been a, a, a great uh, a guide to that hidden continent for me. And Ed and you, how about how about your friends and colleagues? Yeah, well, <laughs> Sting is my friend and colleague in, the, in this project, and and I might slightly disagree with you, saying different worlds, pop, classic, early music, whatever. I uh, when I think of 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 my partner here, Sting, it's it's not thinking of of a pop musician. It's just just one of 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 few uh, immensely talented, gifted artists. And and he's he's got this this uh, um, um, emotional instinct for, for for the early music for the so-called early music. And then uh, I have to say this is uh, maybe my best early music <laughs> up to date. Hmm. How so? Because as I said, uh, I think that 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 uh, uh, his singing and his voice just fits the. The the, uh, the 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 age of, of of the golden age of the Renaissance music. So his his vocal technique and most of all his understanding. Uh, he's he's one the only one I know who's capable of of playing the harmonies on the lute. He can play every song. So uh, and then um, it's it's just uh, so early music. It can't be more early music. I'm blushing here. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I, I'd like to get back to you, Sting, because you have said that John Dowland's songs, songs have been haunting you um, for a couple of decades, more than a couple of decades. So what, what is that about? I, I, I was trying to find out. You know, about 25 years ago, someone suggested that I, I ought to try singing these songs. And uh, I looked at them funny and, and uh, I said, well, you know, I can't do that. I'm a rock singer. You know, this is serious music. Why would I do that? But consistently, people would 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 come up. People who should have known better would say, "You should attempt to sing John Dowland." And uh, I was intrigued. But when when Edin, and I met Edin two years ago, when he when he said it, I thought, you know, this this guy's a lutenist. I, I'm not going to investigate this a little further. And so we spent uh, a great weekend together um, with the songbook and the, and the lute. And I, 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 he taught me a couple of songs. And I, I was drawn in. I, I call it being drawn into the labyrinth. You know. I'm still in there, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it's been a fascinating uh, journey of discovery, and uh, I, I certainly know more about John Dowland and his world than I, and I did before, and uh, 
I've tried to sing these songs in my own fashion, you know, without without trying to pretend to be an opera singer of any kind. But um, you know, I think John Dowland was a, our first extant um, singer-songwriter, alienated singer-songwriter. So there's there's a kind of legacy there that we've carried on, you know, in our fashion. Mm-hmm. I have to say, um, you touched on something that is really evident. It really it is you singing this music. It really is your your sound. I don't know how to describe that any better. But I was I was curious to know. In fact, I'd like to know from each of you how the preparation for this might have been different from or similar to your other work, your other projects. Well, I, you know, I normally write my own songs, my own music and, and lyrics. Um, so one, it was nice to get out of my own way for a change and immerse myself in someone else's world and someone else's process. Also useful to serve a kind of apprenticeship uh, and le- learn something new. But, but you know, realistically, I, I, I would listen to the, the way these songs have been recorded before by you know wonderful tenors and counter tenors, and think, well, I, I can't really do that, and I, I don't want to compete with that. But I, I can bring an intimacy to these songs that perhaps hasn't been um, recorded before, just by the closeness of, of, of the microphone. Um, there's a sensuousness in the songs, a kind of erotic component in the songs that I haven't heard. It's normally recorded at a great distance, and, and it's it's on a pedestal. And I just wanted to make it a little more earthy, because I don't have any choice, really. But um, I, I think the, the songs can tolerate it, and I, I think perhaps, you know, that that technique of operatic singing wasn't wasn't invented until a hundred years after these songs had been written. So who knows? We, we may be authentic. Mm-hmm. And Eden, how about you? How how was the preparation for this collaboration similar or different from from your usual projects? Well, I I, I will tell you the uh, I already had like idea six of uh, of having Sting's voice on. Uh, well, two years ago or three years ago, I recorded the Benjamin Britten's piece on the lute uh, alone. And then, which is based on music by John Dowland, uh, it's based on, on, on a song, Come Heavy Sleep, and piece called Nocturnal. When a beautiful, amazingly, one of the, his best instrumental works, 20 minutes long, and then in, in the end we have this John Dowland song. He gives it in the, right in the end. So after listening to the, the, the CD at home, I just felt something is missing. And then I, I, I wish I could have the, the boy soprano on the CD. That's what I wanted. And then somewhere it was like, well, I, I Sting's voice. It was just everywhere. You know, the, we even met uh, many years before, as you might probably know. And then uh, I said, like, well, Sting, yeah, he, 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 I think he's the right man to, 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 to sing Dowland. So uh, then when we met, uh, it, it was just there. We met two years after that, and then uh, we just met, and and then Dowland, uh, yeah, it came by itself, like like from the Aladdin slump, it was there. <laughs> the idea. Now, no preparation at all. <laughs> now you have done some some different things, some modern treatment of this this music. You've layered some voices and that sort of thing, and. They're absolutely straight performances, but there is a real modern edge to them, and I'm curious to know how you chose some of those effects. Well, I mean, the harmonies were, were written by Dowland. Mm-hmm. We, just, we just followed what was, uh, was already written down. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I needed, I wanted to do that to add an extra color to the record, an, an, an extra, an extra element, because otherwise it would just be voice and lute. I was very keen that this record can be listened to in, in one go, and that people will be intrigued by it and, and, and enthralled by it. Mm-hmm. Um, also, there's, a, there's a, I mean, what, what's modern about it is, is there's, a, there's a kind of, a, there's an energy and there's a kind of aggre- aggression about the way it's, it's sung played that perhaps is, is unusual mm-hmm. but a song like can't you excuse my wrongs if you look at the lyrics it's a very angry lyric so i thought i thought it could tolerate a, a much more hard-edged approach than than it is normally heard mm-hmm. you know people are, are often comparing um baroque music and, and early music to jazz there's a lot of improvisation, and, and that's such a huge part of those genres. Do you think that's true? And, well, and there's, there's a lot of chromaticism in, in mm-hmm. Dallin's music that uh, is like bebop. I mean, the, the piece that Eden plays, uh, Fall on Hope Fancy, is, is incredibly chromatic, and it's, it's written in you know, the turn of the 17th century. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, Eden, here's a question for you. Yeah. I have noticed that a number of very accomplished lute players, including people like Paul Odette, began in music as garage band guitarists playing rock and roll, and I would like to know whether you did too. No. No. No, I didn't. I started with Dowland. Really? Yeah, almost. So I started playing classical guitar. I was, you know, like really, really, really classical and doing all these sorts of competitions, which with the time I didn't like because uh, making a classical musician's career, everyone wants you to be the best. So uh, I gave, gave up and then started playing, uh, well, not in the garage, but I played in a circus. I played on the streets. I played with gypsies. And then uh, in 92, I, I started playing the lute. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, I was just so happy finally to find the, the, the instrument uh, capable of producing the, the vocal expression and then pure sentiment. So... Uh, it, 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 it's just, I, I still feel it today. I'm, I'm, I'm not obsessed, but I'm fascinated with the lute and, 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 and its voice and, 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 and the colors, and even with the smell. <laughs> so it's, it's just uh, to say uh, I am, I'm, I'm at the beginning, hmm. but no garage for now. <laughs> okay, Sting, I have heard that you are a fan of Bach's music and that you make a point to play it regularly, and I, I'm curious to know what makes Bach's music so special to you. Oh, I mean, I'd always liked Bach. Maybe the first experience of Bach was a kind of hybrid Bach. I used to listen to Jacques Lusier when I was a kid, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, it always appealed to me somehow. I, I don't quite know why. But a few years ago, I discovered the the, um, the cello suites and started to re- read them on guitar, on, on, on classical guitar, and, and also the, uh, the violin partitas and even the lute suites and so I, I would just sit and play, play them and um, not you want to pay money to hear me play Bach but uh, it certainly became a way of, of, of learning or, or a way of having a, a teacher of Bach's caliber almost in the same uh, room with you psychically mm-hmm. something about listening to music that is, is fundamentally different to playing it like reading it from the page putting it through the eyes, into the brain, back through the hands, and, and back through the ears again. It's almost like being with, uh, with the composer. So I, I spent many and many an hour with J.S. Bach, and uh, it's, it's been a very valuable um, experience. Hmm. 
And how, how did you start in music originally? How did I start? Mm-hmm. Um, I always sung. I, I played the guitar from being a little boy. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I had a fairly Catholic education in terms of music. I, 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 would, I would hear a lot of classical music, a lot of pop music, a lot of jazz. And um, it it became clear that that's what I wanted to do with my life, so I was fascinated by all different kinds of music. And to this day, I don't really take the the, the barriers between the ghettoization of music that seriously. I I think it's a common language. Um, There's a huge difference between Rachmaninoff's third piano concerto and and a garage band playing rock and roll, but they are using the same basic building blocks. And I think once you accept that, then the walls tend to blur a little bit. And um, it's important for me to, to, to stand astride a number of different music forms and, and not, not to take the barrier so seriously. So, well, I'm going I'm to try and create something new here. Mm-hmm. Is it hard to learn the lute? Oh, boy. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a nightmare. Um, one, it looks like a similar animal to the guitar, um, but as soon as you put it in your hands, you realize it's, there's far, far more strings. They're tuned differently, so the fingering is different, and you have to alter your, your, your normal brain patterns to play it, all of which is very good. You know, um, for a you know, musician, you could possibly get complacent about how much knowledge you have. When, when you have to navigate a completely new... Um, a set of parameters, then you, then 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 you then you put on your metal, and it, it's just it's good for the brain. Now, this one of the things I really like, especially about this recording, is that you've um, sort of woven in these texts from from a letter by Dowland, and I'm curious to know how you chose what you included and and how you kind of crafted the roadmap of this whole project. It was um, it was clear to me that you know because of, of of me making this record, perhaps a lot of people would come to it who'd never heard 16th century song before. So rather than just present the songs, you know, isolated in this very sort of cold fashion, I wanted to, to place them in a context, um, an historical context, uh, a context of the man's life, the politics of the time, the mood of the time. And the letter that Dowland wrote to Robert Cecil um, it's a long rambling letter, really, about his entire life. He's pleading for his life. Um, he, he got into some trouble. And it was a perfect um, vehicle to, to tell his story in. So I selected a little bit of it. I didn't read the whole letter. It's a very long letter. But enough to, to, to paint a, a general shape of his, his life, uh, that he was alienated from England but because he was Catholic and he didn't get the job with Queen Elizabeth. Then he, he toured Europe played for the King of Denmark, princes in Germany, the Medici in Florence, got involved with um, you know, uh, plotters who wanted to bring down the Queen and then was in, 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 in trouble and eventually ended up back in England. But through all of that, um, managed to create some of the most divine music and these, these timeless, beautiful songs. So um, an interesting man. And I, I, I think I wanted to, when, when you put this record on, I want you to enter a world. And so there are dogs barking, and there are bells ringing, and uh, mood, atmosphere, birds singing. So it's not just songs. We're entering a, a movie almost. I'm a little curious about the uh, inclusion of one tune by someone that's not John Dowland. That's Robert Johnson. What, what, where did that come from? Well, it's a, 
it's a beautiful tune. So, I mean, that, that the real reason is that. Um, the connection with Dowland is that um, Robert Johnson was the son of John Johnson. John Johnson was, was the Queen's lutenist when Dowland covered that position. And when John Johnson died, um, Dowland, because he was the greatest lute player in England, confidently expected he would be offered the job. Well, when he wasn't, he, he put it down to his Catholicism. This may or may not be true. But um, Robert Johnson was, was, was the blessed son who, who went on to write um, music with Shakespeare and Ben Johnson. And in fact, um, Have You Seen a Bright Little Girl was, was, a, was, a, was a co-writing credit with Ben Johnson. And um, it, it's just a beautiful song. So that's mm -hmm. the loose connection. Mm -hmm. Yes, and, and the Robert Johnson is, is, is the one who, he's the, well, John Dowland was the best, uh, best lutenist of the time, of the so-called golden age of English lute music, and Robert Johnson certainly was the last great lutenist. And uh, he's the one who closes this, uh, let's say, the, 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 the golden age of, of English lute music. So, gentlemen, will you be taking this show on the road? Will we have an opportunity to hear any of this live? Well, we, we played live the other night in uh, Lincoln Center on Monday, okay. and uh, the week before we, we did two shows in London. Uh, we, we have a performance in Berlin and, and one in Paris. After that, uh, we don't know. Depends what, what's offered. And how about what might be next? Do you think maybe a Bach recording? A garage. <laughs> in the garage? In the garage. <laughs> I, I think I have to make another rock and roll record, and then perhaps we'll <laughs> think about doing, doing something in, in this vein. But uh, it's nice to have um, explored another area and, and, and given... My, myself, at least, uh, you know, a little bit of extra landscape to play in. Edwin's going to make a rock and roll record. I no, wait, 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 wait. Uh, how do you know? Excellent. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, just, I'm just towards the garage, but not, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you've both uh, made a comment about sort of the, the segregation of music, and I have to agree with you. I, I think that the more you love music, the more music you love. But the reality is in this world that there are, you know, formatted stations and and people define themselves by the kind of music they like often. Um, and in fact, here in this country, many of the remaining classical radio stations are non-commercial public radio stations. Um, there are fewer and fewer classical stations, and that's probably a likely place where your music, where this CD is going to be played most heavily. I'm, I'm curious to know what either of you or both of you know about public radio, whether you have an opinion about it in general, if you listen Oh, I think it's hugely important, public radio. You know, I mean, it's, a, it's probably the last vestige of, of art <laughs> being broadcast, so it's very important. And uh, I'm, I'm a big fan, I really am. Edden, do you have much experience with public radio? Oh, lately, yes. 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 No, I also, as a boy, of course, in my hometown, mm -hmm. I, I started perform performing like almost right at the beginning, playing my guitar and, and all the Sundowland pieces in the radio, and I have beautiful memories hmm. from my childhood uh, being in the radio, and, and I just remember waking, waking up so early <laughs> with my mother going there with my guitar and to perform on the radio, yeah. But uh, I think it's important, um, I mean, I was educated by the BBC, really, you know, it was one radio station that played everything from Beethoven to the Beatles. And now with the way things are programmed, you know, if, if, if you want to listen to heavy metal music 24-7, there's a station for you. If you want to listen to early music 
24-7 as a station for you and, and ne never the twain shall meet. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to broaden your horizons musically, otherwise you end up in a kind of fa fascist state. You know, mm -hmm. we, need to, we need to blur the edges. And um, mm -hmm. I think if, if people are curious about you know, Sting recording an, a, 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 a Dowland record, a Renaissance record, then, that, then that's good. If that curiosity leads to, to perhaps think things being a little, a little bit softer around the edges. Well, I congratulate you both on a really wonderful project and um, very enjoyable, and I wish you a lot of success, and I want to thank you both for speaking with me, too. It's a pleasure. Yes, it's a pleasure to 